Hello and welcome to Party Pooper Podcast. Um, this is going to be our second episode of October. We're trying to do spooky stuff. And today we actually have a special guest, uh, Clayton. Clayton, how you doing? Hey, Phil. I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Good, good, good. Um, Alethea is busy working, so she's not here right now, but she'll probably be joining us later. And right. um, in the meantime, uh, I guess I should tell you that uh, normally it's Alethea and I trying to discuss things about the world, um, me being a downer and thinking of serious bummer stuff to bring up uh, to taint the positive, optimistic stuff that she brings up. And that's normally what we do. We just talk about stuff, make jokes, and share things from our lives, I guess. So mm -hmm. today we're going to be talking about vampires. <laughs> and um, I, I believe we were just talking about how uh, you're probably a vampire. Yeah, yeah. Like we were uh, just talking about all the folkloric elements. Uh, people know that uh, a lot of the times vampires can't go out in the daylight. Uh, they can be killed by a wooden stake. They're allergic to garlic. Well, one of the folkloric things is uh, if you're born with a tooth, then you're a vampire. I was born with a tooth. Do you know which tooth it was? <laughs> uh, no, no. It was like pulled out of me by a dentist at the tender age of like two weeks. Oh, so boy. I swallow, swallow it, you know? <laughs> I'm just wondering like, you know, are we talking like a, a front, like front tooth is immediately what I thought in my mind. But then I was like, oh, maybe it was like a wild card tooth, like some random molar or... Like who knows? Thought if it was a canine. Yeah, that's uh, something I would have to I would have to check. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> you're allergic to garlic. I'm allergic to garlic too, so it's like, yeah, it's pretty There's damning evidence here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all joking yeah. aside, Clayton's a good guy, and um, <laughs> and I have seen him outside in in the daylight before, and I have seen him eat regular food and. I'm pretty sure he isn't, but we'll keep our minds open. Um, Clayton was actually pretty conscientious, and he told me that I should warn everybody about spoilers. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be talking about um, the uh, TV show Dracula on Netflix and uh, Vampires vs. the Bronx on Netflix, which is a movie. And we're going to try not to say any spoilers, but... Um, you know, it, it might come up, and so we just wanted to give everybody a heads up just in case. We are going to be talking about a bunch of other movies and stuff too, but all of them are like pretty, you know, they're, they've been out long enough that I think it's... Fair game. Yeah, it's totally fair game at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So other than, um, other than the garlic and stuff, um, for running water... I know we were just talking about whether vampires could cross one running water or not. And that comes up. Yeah. That comes up in the uh, Dracula TV show. I'm not going to discuss the details of it, but it really got me thinking. Like, I really like that show. I've only seen the two of the three episodes so far. I know you've seen all of them. Yeah. But it's pretty awesome. Yeah. The show is like super creepy. And mm -hmm. uh, it actually like really does tension very well. It makes me really like nervous about stuff jumping out. Like they always have stuff jumping out or <laughs> like uh, the uncertainty of what's going to happen. And yeah, the thing is part, part of the uncertainty aspect of it is we already have like this cultural idea of what 
the vampire weaknesses and abilities are. And then when you see a new show like that, you're wondering, like, are they going to have the same things that I already know about? Are they going to have something different? And I remember at one point he brings up, um, Dracula brings up this idea of why he's scared of the Holy Cross. And then somebody calls him a liar. And then after that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. And so it brings breaks down all these ideas of like how vampire lore came to be and like where all these weaknesses and abilities came from. Mm -hmm. So like what are your what are your what what do you think if if vampires were real? Mm -hmm. Do you think that they are secretly behind all these vampire movies to confuse us about what their true abilities and powers are. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, because you said, you know, usually party pooper cop pod, podcast, uh, you try to look at like real world issues and things that are a bit depressing. Um, but I think that the role of media and myth and society is partly to keep a population adhering to a certain um, value set or a certain kind of uh, behavior. And so I think that when you have these creatures who are being presented as fictitious um, and we are comforted by the idea that, oh, it's just fiction, we take less of a chance to uh, try to acknowledge the ways in which our society has kind of vampirical natures, be it capitalism. Uh, be it eating meat, uh, as I'm sure you could like uh, agree with, <laughs> uh, even just um, the relation, uh, like our dynamics in a romantic relationship, uh, and even in the corporate world, um, just power structures and having to feed on people and the parasitic natures of these things. Um, so, in yeah. a way, I you know I think that that uh, the vampire myth um, accomplishes a few things. One, it allows us to vicariously live out this this kind of fear, and it is kind of negated through basically living through the story, and then we don't think about it in, in real life. But also, um, I was having a discussion with someone earlier this week, and uh, the role of myth and media can also serve at um, kind of negating uh, certain kinds of suffering in society. Um, and so specifically like, uh, in the tale of Dracula, when Lucy is bitten and violated by Dracula and preyed upon, all of a sudden now Lucy becomes a bad guy. And Mm. basically as a reader, you're waiting, okay, yeah, we have to stake her to the heart and here comes Van Helsing and he's going to like save the day, you know? But we overlook the fact that basically she's been violated and uh, it's almost like she's no longer a person. But as a society, we want to solve the problem. We want to get back to some sort of normalcy and some sort of sense of control. Um, and and th- this came up, this is getting a bit on, on the side, but the Perseus and Medusa myth where Medusa is, uh, is raped uh, and the uh, goddess Athena basically turns you know, her into Medusa and then Perseus is the one who is uh, the victor, you know, and right. that's supposed to be uh, this simple tale of good and evil. But, oh, man, it's so much more twisted and tragic. And, and yeah, if you have a moment, moment of empathy versus just feeling the good and evil aspect, 
it's like, oh, okay. And, and so for me, like the whole idea of the vampire, if we're looking at it consciously, there's all of these layers that are just kind of waiting to be discovered and are otherwise hidden, maybe intentionally, or just hidden unless you kind of take a closer look with the right tools, perhaps. That's awesome. I feel like you're probably like the most woke uh, vampire analyst ever. Uh, <laughs> like all this stuff you just dropped is like blowing my mind right now. Um, oh, that's great. There's that's so many, great. yeah, uh, there's so many parallels. Um, I oh, particularly cool. like the idea of uh, vampirism as a theme in society and capitalism, like as wealth inequality is greater than ever and, you know, yeah. corporations just keep getting bigger and, you know, uh, dominating everything else. And, um, you know, it's, sure. it, it can be so difficult sometimes to see any hope, like when all of that is happening. And then also this idea of, uh, them being the victim too, and, and victims being, uh, monsterized in mythology yes. and lore and stuff like that, because it's true. Like, like you said, people want to have a solution and they want to get back to their normal and get back to their comfort zone. Like it's not, yeah, it's not good when things come up like George Floyd or whatever. And, um, you know, any mm. kind of, any kind of race issue nowadays, or even, even around vaccinations, people get really triggered and upset and, they just want everything to go back to normal the way that they're comfortable. And it really, yeah, yeah it really uh, gets people emotionally upset when they have to leave that norm and they have to confront all the horrible things that happen. And a lot of the time they are looking for that quick fix. Like, oh, well, let's just do this thing and then we can move on. So, you know, and not look at, not analyze it like what the actual systemic issues are. Um, totally or yeah. or yeah. what actually happened like oh this person is actually a victim they're not a monster uh or maybe they've become a monster because they were a victim and then they get that, that support and that kind of goes into i didn't think we were going to get super political but um i think when nowadays when people think about defunding the police they just hear a bunch of people yelling defund the police and they think that a bunch of hippies just want us to eliminate police officers completely but that's not what they're saying like mm -hmm. okay maybe there's like one percent of people out there that are like yeah no police yeah. period but uh most people when they say defund the police are talking about diverting uh police funding in some way maybe not in a, even a huge way but to grant more uh social services and stuff for rehabilitation exactly. and social work and outreach and drug rehabilitation and to take these people that are victims like i believe anybody that is a drug addict is a victim to that drug. It's not like mm. anybody says like, Oh yeah, no living as a heroin addict is awesome. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like maybe if they're super yeah. high, maybe they would say that. But like in general, I would yeah. think that most of them would agree that mm. it's uh it's a pretty horrible way to live and they wouldn't live like that if they could not do it, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. but a lot of people monsterize, you know, drug addicts or criminals in any sense. And even, yeah. even before all of this stuff with black lives matter and everything, we were, um, I guess I, I don't want to say shaming, but you know, there's like the slut shaming and there's the not believing sure. women when they say that they were uh, sexually abused and even men when they say yeah. that they're sexually abused and victim blaming and you know, yeah, it's crazy. You just opened up like a Pandora's box of, you know, parallels that we can make 
uh, uh, from yeah. vampires to society in general. So I didn't, I didn't expect that, but. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it can happen. It was something that I, I feel that would be good to, to talk about and have an opportunity to talk about. And because it falls in line with your mission for your podcast, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go there a bit, you know, if, yeah. if you're up for it. And like, we're both, um, I, I, I believe we're both, uh, like white cis males. Like we're both white yeah. straight guys that grew up in privilege in a first world country and in a white small town. Yeah. And you know, very white. Very white. Yeah. And, um, I think there was like, uh, three, three or four or five, like a handful of other ethnicities at our school. Uh, and I'm talking mm-hmm. individuals. I'm not talking about just ethnicities. I just mean like, you know, yeah. we had like, you know, a handful of people that could represent all of the other culture and diversity, uh, like five people out of 400. So that's like what 1% of our school. uh, Yeah. I had, I had that experience in elementary and in high school. So in terms of exposure to people who are different, uh, culturally and in other ways, it was like not a lot of chance. (laughs) And so I think, uh, growing up like that and, uh, what happens is when, the media comes out and there's this huge thing that says like, Oh, like everything is wrong and everything has been done improperly and uh, whatever, whatever the issue is, but like these people have been disrespected or whatever. A lot of like uh, straight white guys like you and me are like the, when you're first confronted with people that are so angry with issues that we couldn't possibly understand, our first reaction is to get defensive and be like, Oh, I didn't do anything wrong. And like, why is everybody exactly. so angry and like, well, I'm not part of the problem and you know, it doesn't have anything to do with me. And I think as much as like you want to believe that you're not part of the problem and maybe you aren't even, but like the first, mm-hmm. the very first step to be able to talk about this is to like, just realize that somewhere inside of you, you're being defensive and you're putting up like kind of a wall and, yeah. and just realize that that's there. And as soon as you realize that there is that defensiveness inside and as soon as you realize that you're not actually being personally attacked, um, yeah. then you can be open. But like until you realize, until you like come to terms with that uh, mm-hmm. internal resistance that you may or may not know is there, you're not going to be able to be open enough. And for years, I wasn't open enough about it because I just didn't get mm. it because I was in my bubble and I didn't understand. And you have to really it's going to be harder than people think. Like I can it's easy to say that, but like I know that it can mm. be difficult to get that uh far enough away from your own life and experience to put yourself in somebody else's experience and even just the smallest way um, yeah yeah well i th- i think i think there's a few like tools that that we can use um one thing is listening to individual stories getting away from statistics getting away from just oh, yeah. personal articles and uh getting back to just um feeling someone uh empathy understanding that someone's experience is totally different and we have this wonderful tool of how we change when we listen to someone else uh and it's really beautiful i think it it could be very uh immediate it could be very healing and it can communicate so much and at the same time it can reveal your own blind spots in a way that just facts cannot and that leads me to the second tool is that um uh, I, I was I was doing a bit of research on how best to debate. You know, when you're entering into a debate with someone and oh, looking I'm at so bad. fallacies. I'm so bad at that because I I get so emotional and I get so uh, upset when like I know something's true or I've researched something, 
and somebody yeah. else is just like, it feels like you're just ramming heads and not actually getting anywhere. And I, I'm so mm. bad at debating. So, all right, sorry, I've interrupted enough. I, I really want to hear this. Okay, okay. Well, one of the things to look out for is whenever someone describes an extreme of a situation in order to justify an action or inaction. So as you said, like defunding the police, if someone says, oh, well, they want to take away all guns and they want to replace mm -hmm. people with therapists only, it's like, no, you're describing an extreme of the situation. And describing extremes of the situation um, is just, uh, it's either a tactic or it's basically a mistaken debate because you're like, well, wait a minute, like, one, you're completely out of context and you're out of scope. Like, let's get back to um, sort of the 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 more of the ratio of, of where we're looking at, you know? Throwing like the baby out with the bathwater. They want to say something, they want to make a point that's so extreme that you can't refute so that they can exactly. say, well, if that is wrong, then your entire premise is wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the kind of, I would even say like magic tricks that's happening these days. Um, and, and again, it's something that is true but just because it's true does not mean it applies to the situation, especially when you factor in empathy and understanding that your paradigm is totally different from someone else's paradigm. And the goal is to achieve some form of equanimity, respect, understanding, coexistence, as they say. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because living in a post-fact reality, um, there is a truth to that because empathy exists beyond simple statistics, fact, and I would even say scholastic, scholastic education, all these different terms that are coming up. Um, it could be so simple. Yeah. And to be honest with you, uh, I mean, like you said, um, first of all, facts and statistics are super impersonal and you can't really connect with that. It's, it's always horrible to hear, mm -hmm. you know, X number of percent of people are being harmed or whatever. But, um, even, even if we do have the facts, um, we don't always know what's being taught at school and what, you know, cause I know that oh, yeah. in, in our high school, you know, we had well-meaning teachers, but like, I, I didn't really learn much about the world in high school mm. and like in history class, we didn't even really learn that much about, you know, history. Like we learned a lot about like our local, very specific history. Um, yeah. but like most of the learning I did about the world was afterwards. And I, I just feel lucky that, we grew up in the age of the internet and you know, mm. like I remember being in school at, at a point where, um, you know, at, at some point in class there was like half the kids in class maybe had a computer and a printer at home and the other half had to still write all their essays and stuff by hand. And we were oh. like watching that shift where computers were starting to become prevalent in the house and people were starting oh. to get stuff like printers and stuff. And, I remember when we first got a computer and a printer, I was just so excited that I could now do my homework on a computer and not have to write out everything by hand. It was such a pivotal moment. Mm. Oh, wow. I, you, you remember that so much more clearly than I do. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. And, and that kind of like goes into the next factor for talking about wealth inequality, like making high-speed internet affordable for everyone. Oh, man. Especially during a pandemic, because all of a sudden you have like a roadblock to education. Yeah. And unfortunately, like I, we have uh, elections coming up. And so I've been I've been looking at a lot of articles and debates and stuff. And uh, I haven't seen anybody talk about this. But I mean, Internet mm. essentially 
as it is now should be a fundamental a right. service and, and right. Like it, it needs to be yeah. like electricity and water. Um, I mean, it's, mm. it's such a huge game changer. Like if you have kids growing up in a super rural area without access to uh, reliable internet, they're going to be seriously harmed over the course of their life because they're not going to be able to have the same opportunities and learning ability as everybody else. It's just, that's just a fact in today's world. Yeah, totally. totally. And I can't believe nobody's talking about it. And unfortunately, I uh, think that government isn't, isn't going to do this. I think it's going to come down to programs like uh, Starlink with uh, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX internet, worldwide right. internet satellite. Con- I know a lot of people are, <laughs> right. it's a hot topic. Like a lot of people hate the fact that there's going to be, you know, 20,000 uh, low orbit satellites in the sky. And I know astronomers, yeah. astronomers are pissed off and other people probably mm. think that we're all going to get COVID from the satellite rays or whatever. But like, uh, that's important. Not, not only, not only just for our rural communities in Canada, but literally across the world. Like, can you imagine, yeah. um, yeah. you know, kids in third world countries being able to have internet access. There's all kinds of groups that already kind of do that where they have outreach and they have, you know, uh, computers and stuff that they bring out to these communities and install solar panels so they can charge them. And it totally changes their life. Like it opens up so Mm -hmm. many doors. And I don't think that, I don't think government's going to solve this one. I think it's just going to come down to, you know, private enterprise, like whether it's SpaceX or whoever, just, you know, reaching it through a new level of technology because where the current level of technology was such that there's like no incentive for a large corporation to like bring a fiber optic pipeline out into the middle of, you know, Northern Saskatchewan or whatever, uh, they're just not going to do it. So the technology has to evolve to the point where it makes business sense and, you know, yeah, I, I think it's like sober and mature to understand that the corporations have their interests and more and more they're aligning with uh, a progressive social um, vision of the world. But at the same time, uh, when it comes to things like uh, basic internet, um, basic high-speed internet, I mean, you can sign petitions. Uh, there are petitions going on um, right now that are civically asking for these things. Um, so I, I find one way to... Uh, to maybe hear about things before they become mainstream news items is just to to sign up for uh, leadnow.ca or things like that. Um, it's just another way to get information that doesn't come through the usual channels. I'm actually in a um, personal uh, news revolution myself, um, yeah. and I've been going diving through independent news. So I've got some recommendations for Canadian stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Canadian stuff, there's uh, a group that I actually support called Canada Land. Uh, it's independent journalism, and they they mostly publish their... They do have a website, and they do have, like, written articles, but they uh, mostly publish all their work through, like, a podcast format. And mm-hmm. uh, it is totally free. You can find them on all the major stuff. Um, but they also mm-hmm. have, like, bonus content and, like, ad-free stuff on Patreon. Oh, okay. And they're pretty cool. Like that's how I found out about the whole We Charity scandal. And okay. they're the they're one they're the ones that actually initially cracked that story and then oh, it got wow. and got okay. it got picked up and it was really cool to hear mm. uh, hear them go through all that stuff and they actually had a really great uh mini series on uh North Bay 
and they were talking about the local uh, indigenous community and all these uh, kids that were being sent to North Bay um, to like be adopted basically and go into foster homes and how like the situation over there was like fucked and that oh. uh, like the in- indigenous kids that were coming over weren't getting the treatment that they needed. There was like issues with the police and, and all kinds mm. of stuff. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And it's not something that I would have never, that I would have ever seen in our regular media because there's no one out there covering that stuff. Um, mm. And even if they did cover it, I, I just find it hard to believe that it wouldn't come off in like a weird biased way or so I just, I'm coming to this realization that if you really want to get truthful news that has your benefit uh, in mind, your perspective in mind and like your best interest in mind as a citizen, then we literally need to just be paying and supporting our own media because if it's an advertising company or a private corporation or even the government that's funding a media organization, there's always going to be a, a problem of bias and handcuffs and, uh, mm. you know, journalists not necessarily being completely free to say what they want. Even if the organization mm. does say that they'll allow them to say the things, you yeah. see an issue in like, okay, they'll let them do their own stories and stuff, but maybe that media corporation is only hiring a specific type of journalist and they're filtering it that way. Mm, and, I uh, understand. Yeah, and, and, well, they, and even I've heard like a bunch of stuff about, um, you know, toxic corporate environments and stuff at sure. big media corporations and stuff. So I would definitely recommend people to go find their own independent, independent media sources. And uh, in the States for my U.S. news, I've been looking at um, Today Explained, which is a Vox uh, media podcast. And there's also one called The Weeds, uh, where they go into, they just go into the details of like American politics and stuff on there. Mm, And and then Canada Land itself has a couple different, so they have one called The Commons. That's like just a separate show um, where they just talk about Canadian politics. So, okay. Yeah. So you have any, I don't know if you have any recommendations, um, but yeah. Oh, just, I mean, just in terms of, of, of independent news sources. Uh, I mean, I feel like signing up for, for petition sites is just really good uh, to hear about uh, these specific issues. The ones that you, that we kind of care about, but like, it's just like basic minimum income. A year ago, nobody was talking about it. And now it's basically our, our reality. We're living with the, the CERB. Uh, in Canada here and a few other equivalents. But a year ago, you know, I, I know I was signing petitions. There was um, there was a presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, who was yeah. running with the idea. Yang, I, I heard about him. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's really cool. Yeah, and he put his money where his mouth was. He actually gave people, I think, $1,000 a month for a year just to test it. Um, they had a pilot program in Ontario. Yep. Um, I don't know what happened to it, but, um, I always thought it was a really optimistic idea, but that like who, like that it couldn't actually work. But now that I've seen Ah, COVID happen and I've seen how much, you know, something like this can hurt the economy. And then you take the kind of overall, uh, you know, the overall population right now and what everybody's going through. And then you think, okay, even once this ship blows over, we're going to still have individuals that are going through some intense stuff in their life. And I don't really Absolutely. think, I don't really yeah. think it's that impractical. I think that you would see 
healthy economy and you would see, you know, you people wouldn't just be sitting around on their asses for a thousand dollars a month, but they would have that stability so that, you know, people, you could reduce homelessness and you could reduce, you know, people ending up getting hurt or, um, you know, otherwise finding themselves in horrible situations where it ends up probably costing us more in the long run in social services to try to get people back on their feet anyways. Exactly. Yeah. There was a recent article, I I think it's CBC. Um, CBC is probably like my main source for news, especially when it comes to the pandemic. I've just been following this one source. It's, it feels like it's been very consistent. It's been very sober. There isn't a lot of leading emotion uh, that comes from the anchors. Uh, I feel like I'm not being swayed what I'm when I'm watching or or reading. Um, but CBC recently had an article about. Um, I think it has to do with basic minimum income uh, trial of 50 families and uh, yeah, basically the costs involved, especially in hospitalization and healthcare and uh, and other social services. I think there's like even like a 10 to 15% like savings that happens just by giving people a thousand dollars a month. Even nutrition, so like, because if you look at, um, right, yeah. if you look at household income and yeah. you look at how much they're spending on groceries and then you look at the health outcomes of those different families right. and different income brackets, there's a direct yeah. correlation and causation between the diet of a family that can afford to buy you know, higher quality food versus a family that's scrimping and saving and just buying such a good point. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, food needs to be our medicine uh, as much as anything else. Right. So I think that's super important and not even just like, yeah, okay. I wish that everybody would eat plants all the time and not eat any meat. Uh But like, even if you are consuming meat, um, a family that can afford to buy, uh, you know, more vegetables, less processed food and have yeah. maybe even just the time freedom to be able to cook more instead of working exactly. three jobs and whatever you could work one job, have this supplement and then be able to be home and cook and yeah, take care of your family. Totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, also just, just the idea that with the basic minimum income, you would feel more free to take a risk to try to change the situation you have. Oh, that's uh, huge. A job, a career. Yeah, yeah, like to be able to say, oh, well, I'm going to uh, try to take a night class or go back to school or start another, uh, start a business or something or, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's a huge uh, safety net. And I, I I definitely think it's possible now. I, I thought for sure cool. it would never happen before, but I always thought it was a good mm. idea, but now I'm starting to feel mm. more positive about it. Uh, so oh, I got to interrupt okay. you because I uh, totally forgot to do this before, but I've got uh, ASMR beer opening sounds because I want to drink this beer that's been taunting me. It's just I've been eyeing I've been eyeing my beverage as well. Okay, so all right, I'm gonna go, fir- I'm, I'm gonna go so first. You first? Yeah. Okay. Right, cool. Here I go. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh man! The color on this beer. Oh, tell me about it. So it's like when I popped it open, it's like like a bright raspberry color, which I was not expecting. Um, So it's from uh, Ace Brewing Company, which is from Mm -hmm. right here in Courtney, B.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, the name of the beer is called Fuck Bomb. 
and <laughs> excellent. And it's uh, blackberry lemon peel sour. Oh, bye. I think I would hate it. But so they have a couple different fuck bombs. Uh, so the other one I had was like a mango apricot, and I know they have another one. I don't. I don't. I haven't been able to try it yet, but um, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm All gonna right. taste this while you open yours. Okay. Well, mine's already open because it's oh. it's a bit of a bitch to take the cap off. Understood. Um, but you get to hear the the ice go into my uh, glass. Oh. If it hasn't melted, this tray has been next to here for the past 20 minutes. So, mm. yeah. Uh, okay, I'll do one more. And then here <laughs> we go. Here it comes. That sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah. I like that sound. Maybe I should do more pours. Oh, yeah, totally. This beer is really this... good, by the way. It's It's got a sourness, but it's not... Like I don't, I don't, I don't like super sour beers. I like a light sour, and this is perfect. It's okay. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, sours can be surprisingly refreshing. eh? Yeah, yeah. Alethea got me into them, and I'm happy. So, Mm. what do you, what do you have? Well, I've been getting in. I've been getting into ciders since um, since the the summer, and my favorite is uh, by a company called Mystique. And uh, I think it's Quebec. Uh, de Repitillon. Produit de Québec. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 4.5. Um, this is their regular cider, but I, I've been drinking their, their rosé. And uh, the corner stores in Quebec are called Depeneurs. Right. And I have a Depeneur that's just like a stone's throw away from here. And uh, the, the, the owner is super cool. When I told him I like this cider and it stopped you know, being available. He's like, okay, I'm going to order some more. And so he's like, he's just like ordering it for me specifically. So it's like super, super nice. Nice. Hey, that's cool. Mm -hmm. It's always good if you like something um, to ask for it. I mean, it's their decision. And because Mm -hmm. you asked to have it there, then maybe other people are going to discover it too. Like, um, sometimes I'll see beers that are uh, like local-ish beers. um, But, and that store carries that brand maybe, but they don't carry the, flavors i want so i'll always ask and then sometimes they'll just be like oh yeah i'll try or whatever but then every now and then i'll go in Mm -hmm. and they've gotten it and i'm like oh sweet and now i can like be (laughs) an ambassador for the brands i like nice yeah that's a nice way to look at it and also get to try uh, more beer so there you go (laughs) it 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 never hurts to ask like that's yeah one of the life lessons that my father gave me and it's something that i carry forward in life it's great it can be kind of a pain in the butt, like trying to hunt down a manager in store. But um, uh-huh. I found that like it's pretty easy to find email contact info and then to shoot them an email later. And that's a pretty easy way mm. to go about mm-hmm. it. So that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, support your local brewers and cider makers, I guess. Cider I don't makers. Know what a, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what a cider maker is called, but I, I, I think in French it's ciderie, but I don't know oh, what it would be yes. in English. Of course. Yeah. A cidery. That's <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, all right, so before we get any more sidetracked with uh, social justice... Um, <laughs> As if we could be sidetracked by social justice. <laughs> we will talk about vampires. Don't worry. We're going to get there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you know what is the most scary uh, form of death? Well, not... Okay. 
I'm, I should say this differently. Uh, do you know what the leading killer of all people on Earth is? One, almost one in three people die of this every year. One in three. Wow. Uh, I have an idea, but what? Heart disease. Oof. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about heart disease in just a small way because uh, for my uh, vegan tip of the week, which is also a reminder for everybody to take their B12. So, go ahead and pause it right now. Go take your B12 with me. And then um, I was talking to someone about uh actually i was talking to my mom about vegan cheese and i was mm. recommending her vegan cheeses and i was like oh yeah i need to tell people about uh the best vegan cheeses because they are really very so delicious some of them are good and some of them are gross so oh okay, okay. i just wanted to try to steer people on the right path um mm. <laughs> i'm not like i i wasn't a huge fan of like um brie cheeses and soft cheeses before i went vegan um and i'm still not a fan of soft cheeses now uh even in vegan form so there's a lot of like cashew based cheeses that i'm not a super big fan of um but my favorite brands of all time are chow cheese um which normally you can just buy in like uh square uh, not squares but like uh like uh like craft singles like in sheets or whatever pre-cut uh, sheets. Slices. Yeah, slices. That's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then after that, I find Daya shreds are pretty practical for making your own pizza and lasagnas and other things and whatever. They're not like super great, but they're a good, you know, uh, placeholder. And then Gusta from Montreal, actually, um, they make mm. a pretty good cheese. Um, I have a feeling I've had like they have like fine herbs variety kind of thing. Like a- well, Go first of all, or- if you live in Montreal, you have a way better uh, selection because then you can get like their full range of stuff. And then as okay. you go farther away from Quebec, you, there's like fewer and fewer options because they don't bring all the flavors out here. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Gusta is pretty good. Um, and they make like a big like block of cheese. Um, but the thing is about cheese is that most of them, the primary, one of the primary ingredients is going to be coconut oil. And coconut oil has a lot of saturated fat. And mm. unfortunately, um, almost, well, 31% of all deaths worldwide are from heart disease. And heart disease is caused by uh, cholesterol, which increases your chance of having heart disease and stroke. And saturated fat is what raises cholesterol. And then you might say to yourself, well, there's no cholesterol in plants, so that's fine. But the problem isn't that. So the saturated fat from plants, in this case coconut oil, um, actually causes your liver to create cholesterol. So most, most of the cholesterol in our bodies isn't from dietary cholesterol. So even if you're eating a lot of meat, most of the fat that's, uh, sorry, most of the cholesterol in your body actually comes from your liver, which creates it. So mm. you still have to be careful, even if you're not eating animals and um the way that you can be healthy about it like you can still enjoy that stuff but you just need to moderate right so um they say there's a couple different sources i found where they make different recommendations anywhere from less than 10 percent of your calories to five less than five percent of your calories every day should be from saturated fat and so if you're on the lower range which is where you need to be to promote 
health and not just mitigate the negative stuff, but to actually give yourself <laughs> a benefit, then yeah. on a 2000 calorie a day diet, you would need to eat less than 13 grams of saturated fat a day, mm. which isn't that bad. So for like, um, uh, chow cheese for like one slice of that, which is more than enough for an awesome burger, it's four grams of saturated fat. And like one serving of Daya shreds is 2.5 grams. Um, and Gusta, one serving of that, I believe, was 7 grams. But um, keep in mind, you have to look at serving size, right? So in and of itself, you're not going to die if you have, uh, you know, a little bit of cheese every day. But it's just, it's the compounding effect of like, well, you know, like for example, uh, Beyond Meat burgers are really yummy. Um, but they have like five grams of saturated fat per patty. And mm. so I've been buying another brand called uh, like the Very Good Butchers, which makes their stuff out of like mm. beans and, stu- and stuff. And they only have like one gram of saturated fat in their burger. So they're both giving me approximately the same benefit and they're both making me happy. But if I choose one over the other, then I only have that amount of saturated fat and then I can have like some cheese with it and, and stuff like that. But then I also really like chips. So like I need to be super careful <laughs> about eating too many chips because you, you have to remember it's by serving size and you can easily yeah. go way above 13 grams a day if you're eating like a whole bunch of chips. Plus you're also maybe having some cheese and then you also, you know, so you just got to be oh, careful yeah. and uh, make sure that you're, I don't want everybody to be obsessed about their saturated fat, but Maybe for the next week or two, everybody should just, you know, check out what you're eating and just count. Like maybe even just for a day or two, just audit how many grams of saturated fat did I eat today? And maybe you can find like individual things that you're doing that are like, oh, I could just replace this with this and I would be totally fine. Because the reality is that heart disease is really scary. Um, Mm. And it sucks. It's like not a good way to go. Um, Mm. And... Yeah, it kills almost 18 million people a year. Um, And 75% of them are in the middle and lower income countries because the reality is that even though most people around the world uh, are eating a lot of junk food or more than ever these days, um, you know, they might not have the ability to give you a triple heart bypass or a a stint uh, or like... uh, you know, give you all the drugs and stuff that you need to keep you alive or attach you to a machine or do the surgery. So that's why all the deaths are in lower income countries because they don't have, you know, the miracles that doctors can do to, you know, dive into your body and like, uh, you know, be a plumber for your heart, you know? Right. Yeah. Do you know what the second uh, deadliest thing on earth is? Second deadliest disease kills 3 million people a year? Only 3 million. I mean, I would say it's cancer, but... I know, you would think cancer isn't even in the top 10. Whoa, okay. Uh, Well, actually, uh, that's not totally true. So, all right, so uh, the the next one down is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Oh, yeah, COPD. COPD, yeah. yeah. And, uh, And sometimes that is connected to you know, uh, lung cancer, uh, tracheal and something else cancer. Yeah. Uh, cancers of the lungs, um, can cause that. And it's nine out of 10 times it's caused by smoking. Mm. 
because there's still mm -hmm. so many people on this planet that are smoking. I can't believe it. I, I meet sometimes like 18 year old kids that are smoking and I'm like, you were born in 2002. Like why, why are people still smoking? Like I, I didn't think I that smoking would still be an issue today, but it is. Oh, and sure, yeah. yeah, it's a huge problem. So, but like, look at that differential, right? Mm -hmm. 18 million is the number one cause heart disease. And then next one down is 3 million. So you can mm. just see like, this is such a huge problem. Mm. And that's looking at the global lens kind of. Yeah. And globally. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's the number one killer uh, in North America for sure. Um, oh, okay. And it's the number one killer in the world. I think mm. I was looking at the 2000, I think 2016 or 2018 was the last statistics I could get. And I think mm -hmm. uh, traffic accidents was like number seven. Oh, really? So like... <laughs> That seems kind of high for traffic accidents. Most of it is disease. And uh, something that's yeah. been increasing is um, like mental health related diseases like Alzheimer's. I think that okay, one also yeah. increased quite a lot and is approaching like three, 3 million a year. Um, oh. So, yeah. So some, some of those we can't dodge. It's just it's going to happen one way or another because of environmental factors or your genetics or whatever. But heart disease is something you can totally control. So uh, mm. I don't like to be super morbid about it, but um, yeah. Mm. It's also important to be to be active and active in a healthy way. Yeah, absolutely. You got to keep up. But that's the thing. Like some people are um, like skinny fat. So like you could be incredibly unhealthy and still be quite thin, you know. Okay. Because the even though a super good indicator of whether you have a risk at um, heart disease is obesity, um, yeah. it's still totally possible for you to have insane cholesterol levels and be uh, fairly thin. So, ah, uh, okay, you're, you're not immune huh. just because you're not fat. Oh, okay, okay. Well, it's good to keep in mind because, as Phil knows, I'm I'm pretty thin. Yeah, uh, it's. Having heart disease, aside from the fact that it, it does run in my family, is not really in my uh, in my mindset. Um, I, I had an appointment recently, and everything was fine. Yeah. But it's just interesting to note that just because I'm not visually obese doesn't mean that I shouldn't uh, keep an eye on things. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's like yeah. you know, it's usually it's going to be pretty easy to, to remedy. It just it's just a matter of being aware because right now we're so blind to what we're eating. We're just eating all this stuff and we just, in our minds, we kind of assume that, well, if it's at the grocery store, then it has to be okay. Like it's legal and like whatever. But, yeah. um, but there's, there's actually like a lot of garbage food out there and people are eating more processed food than ever. So mm -hmm. it can be, a, yeah. it'd be a big problem. Mm. So going back to vampires. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know if you have any favorite, movies that you watched uh did you watch chronos no i didn't watch chronos so unfortunately um because alethe works at a weed store now and oh. I, I i picked up some weed gummies there and okay. i did get kind of high when we watched chronos okay <laughs> so you i don't really remember all or... of it but um <laughs> but i remember it being really creepy it's about like this guy who finds this uh, this device that this creepy guy from like the Middle Ages had created, and it like uh, helps him to become immortal. 
by like injecting him because there's like this uh, in the device, there's like this little insect in the device and the insect itself by feeding on his blood and stuff was uh, giving him immortality. But it was also like turning him into a super creep monster dude. Okay. Um, so he's like gra- grappling with like being turned into this creature um, who uh, who was like a vampire basically, but like in a weird way. Like sometimes people don't, um, not people, but uh, depending on, on the culture that the media was created in, like the, the movie or whatever, because this was more of, uh, it was actually in Mexico and the whole movie was subtitled. So you saw these um, like... I don't want, I don't I don't know what the Mexican cultural references to vampires are, but it was definitely like a different perspective on vampirism than like the traditional like north uh, western idea of like this you know like sparkly vampire seducing women or mm-hmm. you know who's like uh uh charming you with his eyes and like dressed super nice in a suit and all the stuff you know because mm-hmm. it's different uh archetypes within vampirism i guess mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah, like mon- like monster uh vampire monster style vampire yeah. i don't know call him like debonair uh like gentleman fu- yeah voluptuousness passion um the super hyper sexualized like, uh version of a vampire oh definitely because like yeah. sexuality and vampirism is pretty strongly interconnected i think absolutely yeah and uh, you know um since we talked about doing this podcast, I'm like, okay, I have to binge movies. I have to remember to <laughs> watch the ones that I like. And, and I, even some I don't have access to right now. I'm just like, okay, I'll just, I'll just read the plot right. in its entirety on Wikipedia and just, okay. And then I remember, okay, yeah, okay, that's cool. But like, if we're talking about intertwined with sexuality, um, vampires with a Y, um, either the 1974 uh, exploitation film, or the remake that was done in 2015, which is the one that I recently watched. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. That wasn't it's, on my, um, not on my radar. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I basically just typed in vampires, you know, as a search and, you know, added them to my list. Yeah. But, uh, but I remember seeing the trailer for this, and there's like this iconic scene of, of course, it's two women vampires in the case of Vampires of the Y. Um, the, the plot is basically two women vampire lovers lure unsuspecting men and women into their uh, high high scale castle um, and basically have these blood orgies. Um, oh boy! <laughs> yeah. So so basically, like they're slowly feeding on their victims uh, in some cases, or in one case, um, it's this amazing, striking scene that I saw in the trailer that put this movie in the in the sort of in my mind of like trying to keep an eye out for when it was going to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, but it's really disturbing. I mean, we have to put empathy aside when we're talking about these things, but uh, two women in a bathtub and they have this body hanging above them. And at one point a woman asks, are you ready? And the other woman says, yes. And then basically they cut open the body above them and it's just spraying blood into the bathtub and they start to make out and basically drink Ugh. the blood off each other's bodies. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm pretty squeamish about blood. Like, um, oh, no. I can kind of handle it in <laughs> oh. movies. It just makes me uncomfortable. But like when I, when I cut myself and I see my own blood leaving my body, oh, I, man. I usually pass out. Like I, I usually faint Ooh. and I, I can't, I can't handle it. And if there's somebody else bleeding in front of me, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I usually can't ha- I handle it either. Actually, one time at work, uh, way, way back, uh, civilian days, I, yeah. uh, someone came and got me and they were like, oh, hey, you're, you've got special uh, first aid training. Like, can you come help this uh, lady that cut her finger? And I was like, okay, like, I'm, like, I knew yeah. I would feel weird, but like, I'm like, I have to try or whatever. So like, I went up there and I was trying to like hold my shit together and like, uh, you know, we applied pressure and all that stuff and we got it under control. But then after like that initial rush passed, I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm not feeling so good. And I could just completely passed out and like, and then I became, oh. uh, the one in need of help and it was really funny. But, um, oh, man. so yeah, when I see <laughs> movies like that, like it's, it's not my blood or it's not happening in front of me, but it still like kind of freaks me out. And so when I was like rewatching all these movies, I was like, yeah. Oh, like I, just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like watching super gory movies. Most of the oh, movies man. that we watched, uh, I remembered them watching them when I was a kid. And then like, uh, when we rewatched them, like we watched, uh, from dusk till dawn. Yeah. Um, and like, I watched blade one and okay. they were just really cheesy. I remember thinking they were really cool. Oh. And then like from dusk yeah. till dawn is like super crazy. And they're yeah. like, yeah. you know, I totally forgot that it was in a strip club. Like I didn't know what was happening and there was just so much gore and crazy shit that was going on. And the yeah. special yeah. effects were really cheesy and, it was just totally insane. Um, yeah. Well, for, from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, and the crazy thing about Dust Till Dawn is like, it's if you if you saw the movie and you didn't see the trailer first on YouTube, um, it was just on TV. You're sort of sitting down to watch this. It's like a half hours in. You're like, okay, it's like a western, bank robbers, weird people, and then it becomes vampires. A half hour in, you're just like, what the hell? Yeah. It's just it's so such a wild twist that. I think it's a big surprise because there's not a lot of movies that are like that, at least mainstream films. And like snake, like vampires, like they had like soft mm-hmm. skin and like, it was weird. Like it was weird the way they, yeah. they were explaining it, but they did have mm. a lot of the traditional archetypes like, um, sunlight. Yeah. Sunlight, wooden stakes, um, Stake, yeah. the crosses, uh, pushing them I think away. Holy water too. Holy, yeah, yeah. He holy, had, holy uh, he had like uh, water water balloons and uh, like a squirt gun or something. Oh yeah, yeah. And he he had to find his faith again in order to bless the water. Oh so yeah, his character. Oh my god. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing was pretty cheesy, but like a lot of them were really cheesy. But I I just remember like as a kid thinking it was really cool. Um, mm. One that I didn't get a chance to watch again was Van Helsing. Okay. And yeah. I also wanted to watch, this one was a surprise pick that came up in my search for vampire movies was uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. Because yeah. one of the League members is a vampire lady. Mm. So she's not like the enemy, but she's actually a member of like the team of weirdos. Oh, okay. Which is kind of a different dynamic because normally it's like the good guys, quote unquote, versus the vampire. Right. Well, that that actually makes me remember the video game Nocturne from Terminal Reality back in year 2000. And uh, Svetlana was uh, one of the operatives, and she was a a vampire. And uh, that video game was so cool. It was one of the first times you get to see, like, real-time shadows and lighting um, in a 3D world in a convincing way in a video game. Yeah, it's been a pretty interesting journey the last 20 years in video games. Yeah. And now we're on the yeah. cusp of like a new generation of video cards and uh, VR. And I'm excited like in the next couple of years, maybe to get into like VR gaming. Cause I think that's 
we're going to see more and more games available for that. And I think that it's going to be really creepy as fuck because like even now <laughs> when people are playing video games that uh, VR video games that aren't even that scary or even not yeah. scary at all, just the fact that you've got this headset on, you can't see around you in your actual physical world. I've seen so many mm-hmm. YouTube videos of someone just coming up and like grabbing someone or whatever and, and you weren't expecting it. And so it just freaks you out because like you're, oh. you're completely isolated with your headphones and your visor on yeah. and you're not expecting totally somebody immersed. to grab you. Yeah. So, um, and I remember reading this article, uh, I don't remember which gaming thing it was, but they were saying how they were playing this game that was supposed to be kind of creepy and it wasn't really that creepy. But then what they did was they took it out to their backyard and they played the VR game standing in their backyard, which isn't a particularly scary place, but something about having the wind on your face and having the temperature change and having, you know, feeling more exposed outside totally changed the dynamic. And then all of a sudden it was like very scary. Um, So I'm not super psyched about scaring the shit out of myself, but I'm excited about (laughs) like, you know, experimenting and trying stuff out just for fun or whatever. So we'll see. It's going to be exciting. Things to come. Uh, Yeah, totally. So do you have, uh, we've been going pretty long. I think this would be a good place to cut it. Um, and then we'll continue in a part two episode. So everybody can stay tuned for that. Uh, mm-hmm. where Alethea will be joining us. Um, but do you have yeah. a, do you have a pick for the fall playlist for the cozy poopers playlist? Yeah, definitely. Um, motorcycle drive by, by third eye blind from their self titled album. Yeah, I used to listen to a lot of Third Eye Blind a yeah. long time ago. I was a, such a, that's a really good throwback song. A, yeah, and for me, it's just like such a nostalgic kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, and it's really comforting and cozy, especially when you're like, well, going through a breakup, but also just like, I don't know. It's it's just the perfect song for me when you talk about cozy. So Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Um I picked a song that I only recently discovered. I don't know how old it is, but um, I don't normally listen to the Lumineers. I only just recently found out about them. But uh, it's a Lumineers song called The Salt in the Sea. And I think it has a really, I don't know, it's got kind of like a, I don't know, a haunting uh, characteristic to it, like in the way that the vocals are kind of like um, floating over the music a little bit. Like it's kind of, you know, it has like this despair in it, but it's also mm-hmm. cozy. Um, so I thought it was kind of appropriate. I don't know. Maybe go listen to the song uh, yourself and judge for yourself. But I I felt it kind of had like this, uh, it was kind of a haunting melody a little bit to it. So um, I'll have to have to listen to it. Yeah. Um, and you have a very special song to talk about. Yeah. Oh, I remember when you first got in touch, you were wondering if there was something that uh, I could contribute to one of your podcasts. And uh, I was thinking like, oh, okay. And it came to mind. I have this, this, I, I, I've been like, okay, a bit of background on me. I'm, I'm a classical singer for the past 10 years. I mostly do uh, classical singing gigs. I have a few voiceover roles and other things, but I was also in rock and metal bands in my teens and twenties. And uh and basically, once COVID hit, I'm like, okay, I've always wanted to write an album. I've always wanted to like do everything myself. 
Um, and so uh, I basically learned how to play virtual drums and uh, been playing guitar for a long time and bass came pretty easy. And uh, one of the first songs I wrote, um, it, it was in the, the wake of watching a really creepy film. It's not about vampires, but it's called The Ninth Gate. And it stars Johnny Depp and I believe Christopher Plummer. Um, Christopher Plummer is a, is a collector of, uh, of rare books, including satanic books. And he basically sends Depp's character uh, across the ocean um, into Europe and all sorts of places to find two other copies of this book. And it's such an eerie, eerie film from start to beginning and uh, from, from start to end. And I was left with a feeling of like, oh, wow, this, this reminds me of, of like this intangible energy that I've tried to capture in, in song for so long. And it does have like a vampiric quality to it. Um, and so it's like two o'clock in the morning, the movie's done, and I grab my baritone guitar and I sit down and I start sort of playing this line and it feels like almost like a church hymn, but it's dark. And basically I wrote the guitar music super quietly, you know, and recorded it on my phone, not to disturb my roommate or my neighbors. And then over the course of the next few days, I realized that, oh, this is going to be a vampire metal love ballad. And it's going to be um, me getting into that energy, which I've I've been able to dabble in, and I was even a vampire in uh, in an opera a, a decade ago with you know fangs and fake blood and a cape, and that was all great. Um, but uh, this was the first time to really just incubate in that feeling, and it took about a month to like fully record and get out of my system, and it was kind of like passing a kidney stone. It was very cathartic because, as mentioned earlier in the podcast. Like the idea of vampirism exists in a multiplicity in our society, but even in, in ourselves. And the song is all about having both perspectives of both the predator and the victim. Understanding there's a tragedy in it, there's an allure, there's a beauty in it that wants to be recognized in order to find a new balance. But it's definitely the darkest song that I've ever written. And I feel like having it be on this podcast, talking about vampires, Releasing around the time for Halloween is just perfect. And I'm really happy to have this opportunity, Phil. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we're honored to, you know, be able to release it out into the world. I mean, when you uh, were talking to me about the idea and you were saying that you had a, a vampire uh, love uh, metal love ballad or whatever, I was like, yeah, that yeah. sounds so cool. Um <laughs> Yeah, and as long as, as long as I've known Clayton, he's been a musician, and uh, he may have understated his abilities. He can play like everything, and he sings, and he he does all the things, and he's made music his life. And um, mm. I'm really excited. So everybody, stay tuned. Coming up next, you're going to hear your amazing song. Yeah, it's called Castle, and you're going to hear it here first. And uh, you could find it on ClaytonKennedyGuitarist.BadCamp.com shortly after this podcast is released. Yeah. And we'll put it in the, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes and everything so people can find it. If you, uh, if you missed that. That sounds good. And the other secret is basically I'm living in my apartment alone and I'm basically going to write, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to film like a short horror film music video for it. Oh, so that, 
so that's that's the project that I've been working on. For that could be cool. While and I'm excited. Yeah, cool. All right, cool. Well, enjoy Castle, and we'll see you next time.